Anyway, we're in our final part of our series. We're starting our, our Christmas series next week. We're, we're going to be doing a series on Christmas carols. So we're going to be taking a few Christmas carols and looking at the theology behind some of them. Um, it's great when you look at some of the old, uh, the old words of the old songs. So for you traditional types, that would be great. So we've been moving along on the theme of traditionalism. Um, we're, we're on our last uh, section of Creed. And then in January, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to st- uh, start a series called Normal, whatever that might be. But uh, we're going to run a four-week series in, in over that. And uh, but there's a lot of Christmas festivities, 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 whatever that is, uh, coming up over the next few hours. So get plugged in and do that. Um, um, whenever you have a confession or a confession of faith, um, we, well, you know, I think it's interesting when we use the word confession. Have you ever done a crime? You know, the, the policeman's looking for the perpetrator to confess his crime to own up to it. Um, and confession's a funny, a funny thing because it has a double whammy. It's just confessing of our sins, but it's also what we believe. It's, it's also what's true. And, and in a world that's kind of lost its way, um, an awful lot of people are confessing an awful lot of untruths as truth. Have you ever noticed that? That, that, that when you confess something that's just so abnormally ridiculous, that what happens is you begin to encroach onto truth and truth definitely is, is a target of the enemy and a target of our world right now where, where, where everything's no longer black and white, everything gets a little bit gray. And we get lost into an ether of what's true. And, and then the church feels like a bunch of crazy horse rigid nut jobs for standing on something that they know to be deeply true, uh, where, where common sense is also the reality of thousands of years of history, with a whole bunch of people today that want to tell you that you're a prehistoric dinosaur and that what you confess and believe is a lot of nonsense and ask the scientists because they agree with them. Uh, so, so uh, you know, the whole idea of this series on Creed was to come back to look at the foundations of what it is that we believe. Um, uh, and why is what we confess, uh, our confession of our faith, that's why this creed was put together all those years ago, was that we would have this bread and butter, solid thing inside of us and in a very short period of, of, of a few sentences uh, we, we declare this uh, confession of our faith, this, this creed as to who we are uh, because if we don't stand for something uh, we'll fall for anything and it's really 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 important that you have a foundation of theology of Jesus of who you are and what we believe and why we believe it it's important that you have that and the creed if you learn it and put it into your heart though not not necessarily biblical per se but has all the ingredients of the gospel message of what we believe and why we believe it and why you need to understand that can I say this never compromise the the information that's contained within the creed don't don't compromise it if someone says to you the resurrection didn't happen it's lies it, it happened. Because if it didn't, we're all in bother. We should pack up and go home. And it's important that we know what we stand for. Uh, so the creed t- today, it's what I want to talk about is a few things, uh, four things in this. It says uh, the section, I, I'm not going to read it today just for the sake of time, but um, I, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins. Let me read that again. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins. What I want to talk about today in this third and final portion is what we believe about the Holy Spirit, the church, and the forgiveness of sins. And I've titled this called Butterflies and Eagles. 
Um, I, I, wonder, I, I wonder what type of uh, person you want to be. You know, the, if I said what type of person you'd like to be, some of you will say, I'd like to be a butterfly. And other people say, no, no, I definitely want to be an eagle. And I'm hoping we'll get more eagles and butterflies in here. But it's that idea sometimes, I think, is that, that, that you know, what we're called to and, and, and what, we're, what we're meant to be. I, I actually really believe we're not meant to be delicate little Christian souls who are, who are easy blown over. I actually think we're meant to be a strong, powerful army of God who knows who we are, who are disciples called by his, his Holy Spirit to declare who we are and that we know who we are so that when the, first, when the storms of life come along, we don't blow over. And let me tell you something, storms of life come, but if your faith gets to, you know, I talk to so many people who, who have a level of faith until a storm comes. And when the first real test comes, it, it, it blows to pieces. And the reason why this is important is because we need to know who we are and, and the foundations of our faith. Um, I've also given this a second title. So you've got three titles today. We've got Creed, Butterflies and Eagles, and I've got another title for you. Ready? Everybody say Shazam. 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 Excellent. We'll come back to that in a second. All right. Uh, we'll go with that. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me? We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2 this morning. Um, three portions from Acts that I want to look at um, just uh, as we go along. I want to take a look at the life of the Holy Spirit, the life of the church, and uh, what that might look like and when it comes to the possibility of forgiveness of our sins. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a wind of a violent, sorry, like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire and separated and came and rest upon each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody say filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And the matter of the language they spoke, there was two things going on. There was the language of the day where they could communicate the gospel. And then there was also this, this personal um, prayer life uh, that was happening within them. And we had both containing uh, what that was. And, and that, that comes back to these tongues going back to the Tower of Babel when, when God divided the earth and, uh, and languages were, were separated. And uh, each, each community that were separated during that point had their own language. And now with the release of the Holy Spirit, what he was doing is he was bringing a commonality of a language, bringing them back together so that there was one language uh, to preach the gospel to a multi-generational uh, community in Jerusalem. Uh, they were able to understand what was, go- what was going on. And then we're going to jump to verse 12 and it says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said that they had too much wine to drink. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on your servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And here we have this man, Peter. Uh, he had got up and he began to preach this incredibly powerful message. Uh, and and he, he stands up in front of this crowd who were baying for his blood. And uh, he basically, in a nutshell, gives this sermon that sounds like this. You ready? Jesus died according to the scriptures. He was crucified just like the scriptures had prophesied. And he was going to bring about an end on the third day when he rose again from the dead. That was kind of what Peter 
had, had said in the gist of his sermon. And the Bible says that these people were, were touched by this gospel message. Something happened to them that day where inside of them, they were incredibly touched by what was going on. So it, it just wasn't words coming out. There was an activation where words and the power of God were coming out together. If you've been to church and all you've ever heard is words, I guarantee you there's something missing in your life, which hopefully we're going to make a remedy to at the end of today. If all you've ever heard was the Holy Spirit and not enough words, you're probably somewhere in Narnia eating Turkish delight where I'd work. Because the gospel needs both. And when it's done together, both, we grow incredibly powerful people and make strong disciples of God. And he gets up here, this guy, and he begins to slice them open and they begin to feel guilty. They begin to, they begin to go, do we need God? What's going on? They're amazed at what's going on. Who is this guy, this preacher, this, this fisherman? Like, what the heck is going on? And Peter said this. He replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins so that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He now just told them that Christ was crucified and he told them how messed up they all were because you've got to understand, it's not that very long between this very same crowd were the very same people that crucified Jesus. And now, Jesus, and now Peter's facing them. What he said to them is he said, hey, see you guys, you, you need to understand, like, like, even though you were the people that crucified Jesus, his promises for your life are still true. And even though he's gone away, we've got this, this Holy Spirit that if you interact and, and receive him and, and be filled with him, he comes in and he changes your life. And, and, he, and, and he goes along and he says, there's not a thing in human history that, that, could, that you could have done anything worse than crucify Jesus. Like think about the worst thing you could have done. And Peter's talking to this group of people who had crucified Jesus. And he said, there's nothing you could have done that's any worse than you crucifying Jesus. And still, he wants to meet with you. And that's the power of the gospel message. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how dirty you feel, no matter how much you've messed up. Did you just crucify God? Did you just, just kill this man who, who said all of these things? Who came back to life? You, you killed him, right? And yet, he's exhorting them to come and meet him again. I mean, it's mind-boggling that this Jesus that flung stars into space, that created the world, that came down, would want to interact, even in the depths of the very people murdering him. He wanted to know them. I mean... It is so upside down. Tell the world that message. They'll, they'll not believe you. It is so ridiculously unbelievable, the message of the gospel of Christ. And Peter gets this, this wind inside of him from the Spirit where, where he gets his bravery, where he stands up and he says, hey, you need to know who Jesus is. And whatever happened in the environment, would it tell you something? 3,000 people came into the church that day. Hey, what would happen if 3,000 people came in here? <laughs> no, no, some of you would be miffed. A whole lot of you would be miffed. I like my wee small church. You see, because it was small in Jerusalem, there'd be about 120 of them. Just nice to know everybody. 
And now 3,000 people come through the door. And here's the thing. They don't look like us. We haven't hung around them. They're, they're a bit odd. Some of them might be from foreign countries and they look different to us. Uh-huh. And Peter stands up with his boldness and he, he preached this message and, and 3,000 people come. And, and God is doing something to the church in Jerusalem. I mean, think, think about that. You know, we criticize mega churches, but 3,000 people come into this church and the church goes, bang! And these people have encountered God in a way they never encountered him before, both Jews and Gentiles. And then he goes on to say this, and those who accepted his message were baptized, about 3,000 people added a number daily, and then it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of the bread, and to prayer. The dictionary definition for Shazam <laughs> means this, I looked it up, it says, an exclamation used, which is interesting in the dictionary, it's a, it, it's, it's a deed, a story, or a transformation. Shazam. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a story or a deed or something that brings transformation. Um, a transformation or a story. It's, it, it, I wasn't one for comics when I was growing up, but um, I recently watched um, the movie called Shazam. Anybody seen it? A few, a few of the boys. All right. The rest of you is, what the heck are you talking about, John? Just, you, you need to go and watch it, all right? And it, who's watched it? Put your hand up. Oh boy, it's going to be rough this morning. <laughs> I'll tell you the story, okay, really quickly. DC Comics, Shazam, he's a comic hero. He's basically a 14-year-old kid who's fostered and he randomly meets this wizard. It's based on a true story, by the way, okay? <laughs> he randomly meets this wizard and the wizard gives him these incredible powers where, where he is known as, a, listen to this, this is a great name, the champion of eternity. I mean, imagine having that name, the champion of eternity. That's what, that's what his name was. And, uh, and this wizard gives this pipsqueak kid, he gives him the powers of seven warriors. You ready for the warriors? Here's the powers he got. Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, Mercury, and you ready? Shazam. <laughs> it's true. And Shazam's now this 14-year-old whippersnapper, and he's now got the might of a Greek god, of a man inside of him. And he can shoot lightning from his fingertips and he can fly and he's bulletproof and he, he, he has all these skills and he, and, and he comes up against this, this battle of this man who's got a serious inferiority complex. Ever met anybody like that? I know a few of them too. And, 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 and he comes along and because 40 years prior, this guy with inferior complex was wanted to be the, are you ready? He wanted to be the champion of eternity and failed. And because he failed, this guy Thaddeus was filled with seven demons. Are you ready? And the seven demons represent the seven deadly sins of the world. And there's this mild-mannered hero called Billy Batson who gets transformed into this hero. And the comic books called him Captain Marvel, but that's a whole political thing. If you know anything about comics and Marvel and, and, and all of these things, DC Comics, and there's a battle going on between them, and that's just over comics. But they can't call him Captain Marvel and in in, in that. So they, so they call him, I don't know, Sparkle Fingers or something. I can't remember. But, but he, be, he becomes Shazam and he becomes this incredibly powerful hero. And anytime you hear the word Shazam, it means to be transformed because he would move from being an ordinary kid to be this incredible superhero at the, the, the mere word Shazam. Everybody say Shazam. Shazam. 
Good, okay. Now you're all superheroes. Where's Seuss? C.S. Lewis said this, whenever you listen to a popular story being told by culture, they often are insights into longings what's going on inside of humanity. In the book, Mere Christianity, he tells us that God plants these incredible dreams inside the human heart, that he interacts from heaven to earth and he puts in the hearts of humans a race to develop in stories, creativity, and fashions our desires deep, deep within us. It's the God who cares intimately about you. It's a God who come out of heaven to come and intimately be with you. And, 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 and who doesn't like a feel-good story? We go and we often pay money to go to the, the movies or the pictures and you should go and watch Shazam. It's got a feel-good story. Who doesn't like an underdog, a wee, a wee dopey wee boy who's lost his way? And who doesn't like a good old underdog story? Come on. Yes. A few of you? Now, why do we like that? You ever ask yourself why we like that? Anybody ever feel like an underdog? You know, Rachel, my wife, she is always for the underdog. I'm for the winners, but she likes the underdog. I'm going, I don't got a hope. I don't care. Come on, keep going. Because there's an underdog story. And we go to these movies and the ones that make us feel good when we leave, when the underdog becomes the hero. Mm. (laughs) You pay 10 quid to go and watch that stuff. Is it not the story about life when the weak become incredibly powerful? When we feel as weak as a butterfly and we become as powerful as an eagle. And it's the story of God, except we don't need Shazam. We just got one name, Jesus. And in a moment, if you grab hold of this, At the name of Jesus, you can be transformed, Shazam. But we intellectually take it, we pray about it, but we never really know how to act out on being a superhero. Why? Because we've been struggling with our own inferiority complexes for far too long. And the Lord comes along and he wants to give you this incredible transformation story. The transformation story from from a young man or woman who grows up in in difficult circumstances and still wins. Who doesn't love a story like that? And, And you see this battle in this movie was like the battle between Satan and Jesus all those years ago. It's like 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 this guy who wanted to be the champion of eternity, Satan with the one who is the champion of eternity. Satan never had a hope. He might have thought he did. But until we understand that God comes along and he, he, he unflinchingly puts you in a bulletproof vest and he, 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 he comes along and he wraps you up and he gives you incredible supernatural gifts. He makes you invincible. He gives you that. And because he's the champion of eternity, he makes you a champion of eternity too. Can I ask you a question? Are you a 14-year-old whippersnapper? Still trying to find their way in life? Are you a powerful, mighty warrior because of what Jesus has done has brought transformation that when you say his name, you know who you are, shazam happens. Because it is a decision 
of your will. It is a decision of your faith and it is a decision inside of you that you have to decide what is going to define who I am. What defines who you are? Peter, just 51 days before this, had a little servant girl come along and said, I know you. You're, you're, that, you're that friend of Jesus. Peter's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Get, get away from me, wee girl. And the card splutters out. I never knew that guy. I, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. I've never heard of him. She's like, okay, chill out, dude. Thou presses, uh, thou, thou protestest a little bit too much. As, bit of Shakespeare before Shakespeare. <laughs> and Peter, Peter, 51 days later, standing up in front of the largest crowd potentially assembled in Jerusalem that was to be allowed to be assembled. And he preaches this powerful message and 3,000 people get saved. Shazam. What happened? to this insecure mess who was as crazy as crazy could be. I mean, he was the first one out of the boat like a nutter. You know, like, think about it. I was like, I, I don't know. I, the humor in the gospel is hilarious. Like, the Bible's funny. You, you just imagine out in Loch Ness. And a storm comes along, and it can turn, I tell you, it gets choppy out there. Ask some of our people from last Saturday. Here, row, row, row your boat you're bopping about and Jesus is having to eat those and all the boys are, are there no, they're all like, kind of like panicking and the next thing you know and the next thing you look out come from Cranfield Corner he didn't he just didn't come out a wee bit we, we were in the Sea of Galilee last year we're like Jesus just didn't come a wee bit he came out miles in the middle of a storm and you see this creepy guy coming over it's like is that Jesus or is that a ghost walking on the water and they're terrified. Oi, Peter. He, he didn't even say, Peter, he didn't even say, hey, anybody want to come? Come on out. You're safer out of the boat than in it. What? You mad? Don't think about that. And Peter, what's he doing? He's ripping off it. He's like, all right, let's go. And he's over the boat and he's running. Wah! Come on, hold on. He's a nutter. The night before, Jesus, I'll never, I'll never betray you. I'll never, I'll never ever be the one that lets you down. The next 48 hours, I never knew you. An insecure 14-year-old whippersnapper at heart, scared out of his wits. And 51 days later, something happens and bang, he's speaking with boldness. The Spirit of God's moving through him and he's, he's starting this movement and it's supercharged. And he comes into this new understanding of who he is and he believes what he believes and he's preaching the gospel. What are you preaching? And he gets this Shazam moment. Four things really quickly. The first thing that happened was in this moment, the church began. The church was supercharged by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes along and, and he, he, he supercharges this. And, and, and it's, like, it's like all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes along and begins to work in the church. And, and it's, it's the primarily tool, it's the primary tool now that God had always wanted to establish was this church that was united to come together and to go into the ends of the earth. Do you know the ends of the earth back then? 
we're Ireland. <laughs> it's true. And they would come as far as they would go to the west coast of Ireland. Do you know where the furthest point in the west coast of Ireland is? Skellig Michael. So the missionaries arrived in there thousands of years ago, and what they do, they would go to this Skellig Mountain, Michael, which is a nightmare to climb. Anybody climbed it? Whew, nightmare. And uh, it's, by the way, it's where Luke, Luke Skywalker, the savior of the world, was, <laughs> just for the record. And they had these little bee hut things up in there that these missionaries, and they would, they, he, this is prayer. This is the first prayer houses. Because they would go out there and they'd wait for the return of Christ. They took the gospel message and they would go to the ends of the earth. They just didn't know that there was a whole cheat that there wasn't any ends of the earth you just have to keep going it's a big circle but they came there and they prayed and they saw it because they answered a call and, uh, and, 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 and it's, it's this picture that, that the Holy Spirit comes down now in and, 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 and Jesus now interesting in the creed that he, he does his work he gets crucified he dies buried and rose again and goes to be seated at the right hand of the Father we see, we see, the, we see in, in Genesis, work for six days, God sat down, rested. Jesus did his work, rested. But he sent the Holy Spirit, the age of the Spirit. And guess what? He never rests. He never stops. He never stops working. He never stops challenging. He never stops convicting. He never stops moving in your life. He never stops wanting you to have this incredible encounter with him. He is always here going, I'm here. And when the Holy Spirit comes in and touches your life, you get shazammed. Because you can't do it by yourself. You get this transformation that happens inside of you and there's no sitting down, there's no resting, there's no changing because he's still active, he's still saving, he's still healing, he's still feeling, he's still leading and he's still going and he will never stop until Jesus comes back. And he's always poking and prodding and hoking and kind of trying to get you to see him. And all the way through the Old Testament, we see the Spirit moving through his whole entire ministry from Jesus. First day on the job, he speaks of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was there at the beginning. He was there at Jesus. It says the Spirit of God led him into the desert. The Spirit of God crucified him. The Spirit of God raised him from the dead. The Spirit of God was actively involved in every major thing that took place. And if he's not involved in your life, Jesus said, go away from me for I never knew you. If the Spirit of God is not actively happening in your life, where it's an experience where you know him, you experience him, you live it daily, and you understand something about him, I want to tell you today, here's the good news. The Bible says, if you're hungry and you desire the Holy Spirit, by the laying on of hands of those people who have the Spirit already, for some weird reason, he transfers the spirit inside of us, leaves us, goes into the person, and they get filled with the spirit of God. I mean, that's the biblical way. It's not how I would do it, but that's the way that God set it up. And when you encounter that Holy Spirit, and I'm not talking about being weird, because sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes, it gets weird. I'm talking about transformation. I would rather know that if you fall down on the floor and shake and cry, that you get up and your life is transformed forever. Because the same God that flung stars into space should touch your little 
14-year-old whippersnapper, insecure life, you might go weak at the knees too. And God is interested in this incredible church. And we see the Holy Spirit's active all the way through. And he's just not active all the time. This is, this is what Jesus said in John 14. I pray that the Father will give you another helper. Everybody say helper. Anybody need some help? You ever, you ever ask people for help and then don't take it? Anybody out there does that? We call them help-rejecting complainers. Ever come across them? You know a few? I know a few. They complain about everything. Complain about everything, no matter what you offer. Whatever help you offer. Nah, tried that before. Don't work. Don't be that. But you ever need a real helper? Someone who come into your life and help you? And here's a good thing about the helper, you know? It's like... Um, <laughs> I, try, I, I was up at a friend's house the other day and there's these big parcels that have come in for us. They're big boxes and they're stacked high. It's a new screen, but I don't know, I'll leave that for another time. And I was there by myself and there was a box below two things that I wanted to get into. I couldn't do it. I was like, I cannot do this by myself because this is all going to come down around me and I really wanted to see inside that box. But if I had just one other helper to do it, I'd have been able to get in there. If you're lonely today, if you're left out of things, there's a helper comes alongside of you and he comes into you. And he said this, I will abide with you forever. When the Spirit of God comes, he dwells, he stays with you, he doesn't go away. He's in you, on you, and upon you. And it happened on the day of Pentecost and he's been doing it ever since. And it's why? It's so that you can go forward and become the great church that, 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 that Jesus had asked us to become. There's self-enlightened interest. And then there's the mission of Christ. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit, we flutter like butterflies when we're meant to soar with as eagles. It's why we confess, I believe in the Holy Spirit. To confess you believe that he moves is to participate in that. The Bible tells us that God's reward are for those who diligently seek him. That that, that unless it's impossible that without faith that we believe in God even in the first place. See, faith is an interesting one. Faith for me is that when we trust something bigger, that we step into something. And when we get that shazam moment, it's like God just all of a sudden gives you horsepower. You get, this, you get this jet engine, this pack inside of you, and you're able to do things you could never do before. It's the lifestyle of a Christian. It's meant to be catalytic. It's meant to be powerful, and you're meant to see it. It's only ever happened to me on, on a few occasions where a complete stranger came up to me and said, are you a Christian? And he says, how do you know that? He says, I can just tell. I says, I want to know how you can tell. He says, I can just tell. I says, hi, tell me. I want to know. This is years ago. She said, just know, I can just tell the Spirit of God's in you. And she was right. I, I couldn't see it at the time. You know, I could be in a bus or a train. It's interesting, I can just go, Holy Spirit's not person. Why? Because after a while, you get to know who the Holy Spirit is. You get to see him on people's lives. You get to know. Can I say this? If you, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, if you met Jesus and you're not kind, I would question whether you know the Holy Spirit. By the fruit, you shall know them. How do we know the Holy Spirit's active in your life? Fruit. 
See, if you're angry, hold on to bitterness, unforgiveness. The Holy Spirit out there. When you're frustrated and kind of hopelessly wandering around in those areas of your life, Holy Spirit isn't there. Why? Because he's coming in to go, hey, I, I, I want to help you fix this. I'm in you, on you, and upon you, but you have to take responsibility that when he pokes and he, per, he, per, he starts to, per, you have to do something with that. He's interested in giving you the Shazam. How can you know? How can you know if the Spirit of God is in you? Well, I, it, it, it's one of those ones. By the fruit, by the transformation. But also you just know. You just know. It's like, I remember the day it happened to me, 1st of January, 1989, after New Year's Eve party, half past three in the morning. Laying in my bed at night, Holy Spirit, you're real, I want to know you. Flashing lights, thunderbolt, the whole hake, got it all. Had no idea what was going on. I just know something changed Shazam. And I got up the next day. <laughs> Had an interesting experience New Year's Day. My family were attuned to taking the Lord's name in fame regularly. Anybody come from one of those families? A few of you. Yeah, my family. And I got up the next day and my sister dropped a glass and she went, Jesus Christ. And it was the first time I ever experienced it where like an arrow shot through my heart and I went, don't you ever say that in front of me again. I was like, whoa, what did I just say? She looked at me and went, steady on, your highness. She went into my sisters and like, what's happened to him? Slagging me off for saying Jesus' name in vain. But something changed. The Holy Spirit gave me something about Jesus that would never leave me. And you knew, and you knew. That's why Christians don't take the name of the Lord in vain. If I ever hear a Christian say that, they get, they get a John Ash kicking. Why? Because it's really important you understand. A couple of tests too. Number one, how do you know when Holy Spirit's in your life? Well, it's not just about the manifestations. You become focused on Jesus. If you're not focused on Jesus, you ain't got the Holy Spirit. Why? The Spirit of God is always to realign you, to focus you in Jesus. It's what, he's, it's what he does. It says the helpers come to glorify who? To glorify Jesus. Number two, the second thing, it should increase love. The Holy Spirit has an increased love in you. You need to go back and speak to him again. Can I just, even just separate from the Holy Spirit, just try and increase love in your life. Especially for yourself. You know what I've discovered? so many people don't love themselves. I'm not talking about looking in the mirror and kill her. That's all I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, because that's, that's not what I'm meaning. But then you look at yourself and you go, do you know what? I'm going to love myself. I'm not perfect. A bit round than I want to be. You girls, bingo wings, I know. <laughs> oh, I, you see, you know. 
There's a trinity of relationships that are interlinked. Greatest commandment of all, love your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and love your neighbor, that's you lot, as yourself. They're all linked. Oh, I love God. I'm not sure about my neighbors and I'm definitely not sure about myself. That's kind of the standard practice. What if loving yourself brought a bigger encounter with Jesus? Ever thought about that? What about, what about going to that neighbor that you really don't like and loving them anyway? But I do, John, because I'm a Christian. No, you don't. They're liars. How do you accept somebody that you don't want to accept? Never mind that. How do you accept something about yourself that you don't want to accept? That's, that's the Spirit of God comes along. I wrote this down for what it's worth. Have you experienced with the Holy Spirit? doesn't make you kind. It doesn't make you really of the Spirit. The church was supercharged. Sex, uh, secondly, the Holy Spirit, the church is global. Church is global. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, here's the thing, really quickly. All right? Whenever you hear that in the creed, the Holy Catholic Church, we only think about one thing. All right? One version of the church. But you've got to remember that, that that's only a 16th century thing. You've got to go back to understand that the Catholic Church meant the universal church. It was like there was one app for everything. All right? Anybody get one app for everything? Now with 50 apps for multiple things that we don't ever need in our lives. But, but it was like this, this Catholic church was this idea that it does not matter what version of the church you are, there's one church. Did you think when you get to heaven that it was just going to look like everybody's in this room? I dread to think who's going to be beside us. I mean, those Presbyterians, Seriously. Never mind that. What about all them Muslims? Oh, did John just say that? Do you know how many Muslims that are meeting Jesus right now? Honestly, around the world. You know, if you, he, I've just, I've, see if you're a Christian racist, because they are. I'm telling you, God is going to put you in a street with every colored person in the planet. I'm telling you. I just, I just see God scheming it. I, pre I prepared a mansion for you. Here's your mansion. Yo! I'm borderline heresy right there. <laughs> but the word Catholic means, it's, a, it's this universal church. It's this idea that it doesn't matter, that, that I believe in a holy Catholic church. What are we saying? We believe that there's one church. Established by God, for God, then that Jesus is coming back to get that church as his, as his bridegroom. And it doesn't matter which part of the church you are, we bless all churches. Now, I don't have to agree with them all. Some people go to church. See, yeah, I was talking to somebody, say, my, I've 500 years of my family have gone to this church. Somebody told me that this week. Like 500 years, wow, that's a lot of heritage. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Yeah, it doesn't matter darn when you come to church. Hey, listen, it's an old saying. I can't remember who said it first, but going to church doesn't make you any more a hamburger. Sorry, a Christian. Then going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. I so ruined that. <laughs> church people is expressive to a community. We, we, we meet here, but this morning there's lots of other churches 
across this nation meeting to worship God. And we can't dismiss that. And the whole idea of this, we believe in one Catholic church, is designed to bring unity to the church when, they're, when I can tell you, ah. And, th- and this is the thing about Catholic church. They have unity. They've only ever had one church. You have Protestants. Jeez. You boys know how to fall out with each other. It's true. There's 40, somebody read something, 27,000 uh, denominations within the Protestant world. One Catholic one, Roman Catholic one. Hey, we're doing something wrong. One church. You want to be part of the family of God, you've got to remember it doesn't look just like us. Too many Christians want them to look just like us. Why don't the band come back up again? I'm so out of time. I hate this. J.A. Packer said, the church is a supernatural society of God's people. Thirdly, Shazam means eternal. The creed, I believe in the communion of saints. Well, what's the communion with saints? Well, it was pretty simple. It's two words squished together. Common union. We believe in the one church, the common union coming together. And it doesn't look just like us. And we have to be okay with other churches. And when God brings common union together, he changes something. Because whenever we get up there, I tell you, it's going to be one heck of a fun. And lastly, the Holy Spirit's building a church full of people who have been forgiven. Been forgiven. Can I say it's perhaps the most difficult thing to do? To forgive somebody who you cannot forgive. It's, it, I'm, I'm thankful for something in my Catholic upbringing. I, I see this a lot, especially in the council room. You know, we're taught from a very young age when you're brought up in the Catholic system. You're marched off at primary two, which is about six, and you're taught to go to see the priest to give confession. Now, you can have every argument you want with all of that. I'm not getting into that today. That's not what I'm meaning. But what it did was it taught you to go away and have a think about all the things you did wrong. And then you'd pick and choose the ones you would tell the priest. (laughs) Be under no illusion, you were never telling him at all. And if you did, you were stupid. (laughs) And you come along and you say, yeah, I I stole stole a gobstopper from Simpsons. I flicked a snot at my friend. That was the sort of stuff you did at that age. And then what they would do, they would give you this penance. They'd make you go away and say a load of prayers. Nalik had a whole lot more than the rest of us. Isn't that right, Nalik? (laughs) He knows. But it teaches you something early on. to, To let go, get it out, confess, and forgive. And then we get Northern Irish Protestants who don't know how to do that. I'm serious. Do you know many people walk into our council rooms with these grudges? The self-righteousness. I am right. They are wrong. Yeah, you're probably right. In fact, let's just say you are right. What's that got to do with forgiveness? (laughs) 
There's something theologically wrong in some of our mindsets. Can I tell you what it is? In order for me to forgive something, they need to say sorry. It is so unbiblical and it's a lie from hell. In fact, it's a lie from hell to trap you in staying in your unforgiveness. And until you find it in the depths of your soul to say, you know what? I choose to let go of that unforgiveness towards that person. You will never know the power of the Holy Spirit's release. This week I watched, last week I watched this one person for two years wrestling with something that they couldn't let go with. Two years. Just couldn't let go. And I said, look, I'm not telling you you have to. I'm just telling you the only way out of your pain is forgiveness. It's literally the only way out. I wish there was another way, but there's not. If you're struggling internally, I will near bet at some point I can take it back to the fact that you haven't forgiven somebody. Mostly yourself these days, but somebody. Usually somebody significant in your life. And, and I, I watched this person for the first time in two years say, I choose to forgive you for the hurt and pain that you caused me all my life. And in that moment, shazam. And the Spirit of God fell on her. She starts to laugh. <laughs> and she starts going into, and I'm like, God, what's going on? Is this a demon or something? I was like, do I need to take She starts belly laughing. <laughs> she said this, she said, I didn't know this is what forgiveness would feel like. I was like, yep. It's the joy of the Lord. She says, you're not finished yet. Because there's another part of this. You have to accept that person who's hurt you. Should they never change? Is that not what Jesus did for you and I? Why can't we do it to other people? Because he did it for us and we know he did it for us. Oh, he accepts me the way I am. I'm not perfect, so he'll take me. And we'll take that all day. But I need my husband to change before I can accept him. have to accept that which you cannot accept it's part of forgiveness then you have to stop fighting dear sake the amount of fighting going on inside of people these days is unbelievable stop fighting there's only one fight only one fight you need to worry about do I know Jesus it's the only fight you need to worry about and today as I finish I really am finished if you do not know Jesus and you've never met the Holy Spirit, you've never encountered the Lord, and you've never had that power encounter, and you're sitting out there today going, something's, something's kind of touched me today. Something's wriggled inside of me. Or you've come a thousand times and you've had prayer and nothing's ever happened. Don't stop. Don't give up hope. Talk to Rihanna and Mike about that. They'll tell you. But I can tell you, every time I went forward for prayer, every time, okay, God, sometimes I got some, Sometimes I didn't, but it didn't stop me from going forward. John remember used to say, used to pray for nobody and nobody got healed. Now we pray for everybody and some people get healed. 
If you don't know Jesus today, if you're online, you're watching online or you're here and you don't know him, I'd love to tell you about him. I'd love to introduce you to him. But more than that, if you've never had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you've never found the joy of the Lord, maybe today you need to forgive somebody before you come up here, but I'm going to invite our ministry team. We're going to stand, let's stand. We're going to bring our ministry team because we're going to go into this worship song, but here's the thing, everybody waits to the end of the service for the ministry team. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something. Jesus, right now, release the butterfly in the belly and give them wings of the eagles. If you're out there and you've got a bubble in your belly or kind of feeling a wee bit tingly or something's going on inside of you, that's usually a sign that the Holy Spirit's beginning to work. And I'd love, we'd love to pray for you. We're going to put hands on you. We're going to pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit but if you don't know who Jesus is I'm here uh, uh, Gary's here some of us are here we'll talk to you about that but if you do know Jesus and you've not encountered the Holy Spirit which can happen we'd love to introduce you to the Holy Spirit this morning